Good morning, everybody. It's a great pleasure to share God's Word with you. I don't know if you've got the experience, oh, I'm sure you have, actually, where you can remember a time where things were really good, things were, you know, the best that they could be, and in that moment you just thought, oh, I wish this moment could last forever. I'm sure there's been a few songs written with those lines in it. I know the times when I've laid upon grass, you know, in the summer and it's nice and soft, the, war- the sun is out and it's warming my skin, you know, the children are playing, but, but not too loudly, so it disturbs me, their happy voices are there, I know my family is with me, I know that I'm, I'm at peace with myself. Oh, if those times could last. I'm sure you might be able to think of something as well. But there is that cloud on the horizon which crops up. And in your mind, you know you can't lie there all afternoon. And you know that the, the kids, which once were joyful, will start arguing. And things will start to go a little bit sour. Well, this is something that Psalm 16 is sort of talking about. It's knowing that something is so good and not, not wanting to lose it, wanting to keep hold of something that they have. And I want to ask us a question at the beginning of this uh, talk. Can we sing the first two lines of this psalm with David? Can we share? Can we actually say, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. Now we might assent to that and say, Yeah, well, I'm a Christian, so I can sing it. But can you really sing it? Is it part of your heart song? Are you able to join with David? Because these are what psalms are about. This is an outpouring of the psalmist to God about the joys and woes of this life. You see, there is that problem holding on to something that we really want and failing to do so. You see, at the very beginning of time, we were in a wonderful place. That is, humankind were in a wonderful place and it was called Eden. And life was so good. Life was really good. We didn't have to say sorry, for there's nothing to say sorry about. We weren't in any shame, because we'd done nothing wrong. We were walking with the Lord in a pleasant place. Everything was in abundance. We didn't fear anything. We were being good stewards of this wonderful place. But we failed to hold on to it. We stepped outside God's plan and things just tore apart then. Knowing what we had and unable to, uh, unable to keep hold of it was devastating to the human race. And ever since, that has been in our heart to get back to that state. You know, I do long to lie again once on a nice warm day in the grass. This summer is is finding it difficult to do that. But this is so much more. Well, I've quoted it recently, actually. But the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question, which I've only brought up because it looks at this psalm, Psalm 16, quite heavily and draws a lot of its answer from that. It says, what is the chief end of man? Well, the chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We were enjoying him. 
Death hadn't entered the world. It was going to be forever, but things went seriously wrong. But because of the graciousness of God and his love for his creation, he didn't leave it that we would just stay in that state of ruining the day when humankind just let it go. And so where we find ourselves is some way down the line of God's revelation of plans and purposes in history to restore that was lost. We had Abraham being called to set himself up a nation through him and his seed. We've seen that seed grow, but they were enslaved in Egypt and God rescued his people. He brought them out of slavery and he promised them a land for their own. And he brought them to that. And after an unsettling period in Judges, the state of uh, the nation of Israel have now got a king. And this is who is writing this psalm. The king of Israel. You see, we've got a move from God, uh, from what was lost, where we've rejected God and lost everything, to a direction which takes us to God becoming our God once more, for a land of our own and a people to enjoy it with. Well, let's look at the psalm. We've got verses 1 and 2, and I've, I've titled it, No God and No Good. It says, Keep me safe, O God, for you entire... Uh, for you, I take refuge. Now, that, that, those first few lines is, keep me safe, O God, for I have taken refuge in you. You see, David knows that by taking refuge in God, he has got something precious, something so worthwhile to hold on to. He does not want to let it go. I think maybe a more accurate translation might be saying, preserve me, preserve what I have. And this is the case for every Christian, every believer, that you have something great and worthwhile in the Lord. Preserve me. You might think of, well, J. David might be singing out, save me, or transform me, change me. He's saying, preserve me, because I know what I have in God. He is so keen about this salvation plan of God from Eden that he has hold of something of that, and he does not want to let it go. You see, this guy, David, also wrote a few other psalms you might be aware of. In Psalm 34, he says, says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, happy, joyful is the man who takes refuge in him. He has tasted and seen the Lord, and it is good. It is so very, very good. I don't know what exactly the circumstances or the motivation behind this psalm, Psalm 16. But I think that he might have had a bit of a wobble, a bit of a momentary suffering, maybe illness, or he had a few enemies as well. I don't know, and neither do the commentaries. But what I do know, he doesn't want to lose the joy of having God in his life. He hasn't accepted that lie which says all good things must come to an end. Because that's wrong. But David also recognizes then in verse 2 that there is no good apart from the, uh, from the Lord. 
I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good things. Now, many times in Sunday schools and um, probably churches, maybe not nowadays, but certainly in schools that used to sing, we plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, for it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. And the chorus goes, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord for all his love. You see, God is the object and source of all that is good. Everything that brings pleasure and joy to us comes from God. You see, but David realizes that it's refuge in God which is important. And to find refuge in God, you must realize that you have to call him Lord. It's an act of submission. It is to recognize once again, as it was in Eden, God is God, not you, but God is your Lord. You see, it is that return to that proper relationship. We don't like the word submission. It feels like I'm a slave. But it's not. It's freedom when we realize who God is and that we bow our knee to him. It's that realization that there is someone so far greater than us so somebody that we can't even comprehend to how the extent of his greatness is and to say, I bow in your presence and you are my Lord. You see, it's not just proclaiming, God, you are my Lord. This is refuge. You must run to him. You must seek him. But you cannot assume to be able to claim God's protection and security if he's not. You know, I don't know if you're with me on this, but sometimes you feel injustice when the human rights law is, is used in a way which you think, hang on, this is wrong. That there is protection, that somebody has got granted security, given safety, given money, even though he's running and not willing to submit to the English law. It doesn't seem right, does it? Well, neither is it right for us to claim the graces of God all the good things that bring us joy in this world, and stick the two fingers up at him and say, I'm not going to bow my knee to you, but I'll receive your goodness. And that's the challenge for us. Rebellion against God to say no to him, not only separated us from him, but also the source of all good things. That's why David says, apart from you, there is no good. It cuts us off from the source of all pleasure and joy. Separated from our creator, the giver of all good things. Do you give thanks to the Lord as Lord? Or do you just say the words? Maybe you are receiving the good things of God, but haven't bowed the knee, and you haven't taken refuge in him. Well, you're living on borrowed time. God's grace is good, even to sinners at the moment. But there will come a time when it will come to an end. And safety is only found in God. And so the message is, repent. That means turn around from saying no to God and realize that he is a source of all joy and all goodness. But to take refuge in him is to bow the knee. Acknowledge him as, as your creator God, as Lord. And this is what David's done. And then we have the verses 3 to 7. I've named this, Delight Yourself in God Alone. 
There are many things to get our attention, to steal our hearts, to tempt us in this world. But the thing is, is that God himself is saying that he is all pleasure and all joy. It's, I think the Christian community is seen by many outsiders as a bit boring. As they don't know how to let their hair down, they don't know how to have fun, they don't know how to enjoy themselves. And to be honest, they might have, a bit, have an argument sometimes when they see our faces leaving church. Christians are boring? No fun? Absolutely not. You see, our pleasures to be had only if you walk around spraying Lynx deodorant all over your body. You've seen those adverts, haven't you? Is that where pleasure is found? As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. So, uh, uh, verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. You see, David recognizes that the saints, not those ones who are specifically there to journeying or anything like that, not, not talking about your patron saints, but the saints, the anointed ones. That's the, that's the word in, in Hebrew, anointed ones. Those who have received the grace of God. Pretty much those who are like David, who say, my refuge is in God. They're the delight for David himself. It's not that they're looking elsewhere other than God and saying, well, hang on, these people are my God now. But it's because they have that relationship restored by the grace of God. It means that once you do that, once you understand that joy of being with God, well, then it overflows. It can't keep itself isolated in every individual. It benefits and blesses all others. And that is the delight of fellowship, isn't it? When you're with somebody who delights in God, in the greatest thing. I know that I like to share my music with people. And I say, listen to this. And I'm solely disappointed when they don't get it. Or they think my music's a little bit weird. And not, not like the regular kind of pop. But here when we're sitting next to people who believe and love God. You can only say, wow, yes, I agree. The Lord is good. It's the delight of overflowing um, blessing from God. But do, but contrast this, which pleases David. Contrast this to uh, what follows. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their name on my lips. Delight on one hand. Sorrow on the other. Delight from those who love God who have received his grace, who have taken refuge in him, who has bowed their knee and said, you are my Lord. There is no other good apart from you. Well, besides those, you contrast with those who run after other gods. The sorrows of these will increase. They won't lessen. You can get through ten bottles of links, and I tell you, you still won't be happy. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. That's pretty grim if you realize what they're saying. The libations is a bit of a, bit of a peculiar word. We don't exactly use it in our modern um, everyday-to-day language, do we? But it's saying to drink a cup of blood 
maybe mixed with wine. It's some of the practices which they did for other religions, other worship of things which weren't God. How foul and detestable is that picture to take upon your lips blood which has been spilt. I'm sure it made many people gag but thought that it was doing them well. Well, we don't drink cups of blood, do we, really, nowadays? But there are many other things that will tempt us, that will make us give up what we have for the sake of owning something other than God, because we think it's going to please us, but it won't. And we should regard those, those things that we chase after in the same way as portrayed in these verses here. It's as foul and detestable as drinking blood from slaughtered animals. You see, it's no wonder David says this, that I will not pour out their libations of blood or take upon their, uh, their names on my lips. He doesn't want to participate in that which is a pursuit of joy and pleasure which doesn't have its roots in God. Anything that you sell yourself out to, to please You see, those who have been saved by God need to be sure to keep themselves pure. It's so easy and tempting to fall in the trap that other things will please you and give you joy. And many things in my life and your life, I'm sure that you run after and you enjoy, and God is not there at all in it. And so we sing with David to have God's strength to be able to say, I will not take part in that which does not give me pleasure. Well, verses 5 to 7 carry on this thread of enjoyment in God. But it talks about that an all-encompassing enjoyment of God. I don't know how many of us would just consider our faith as something to save us from hell. And it's about, and it pretty much stays at that. Perhaps it is. But for David, his salvation, his refuge in God is so much more We've already seen that he delights in the saints. It goes beyond him into a people. He's getting excited by this. He loves what he reads. Verse 5 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. And again, another way of translating that verse is... The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You see the difference? It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. But I think the thrust of the passage is saying, the Lord is my, cho- is my chosen portion and my cup. God gives himself to us. That is most worthy to be praised. That is the most, the most beautiful and holy being that we could ever perceive or know. He said, I will be yours. He is our allotted portion. He is everything that we need. We don't need to run everywhere else to find pleasures. But God is everything for us. He says, in my cup. Many times in the Bible, the cup is is used to um, talk about bringing wrath on you. But in this context, it's different. It shares itself with other passages which say it's a strength and a comfort that gives strength to one another for that comfort, love, and strength. And this is what God is for us. 
that he's everything that we need. And that's seen in those beautiful words of love, comfort, and strength. David is taken up with that restoration with God, knowing that he has left this world to, be, to find refuge in him. David's not the only one who expresses this delight. Going forward a few, uh, a few thousand years, we've got Paul the Apostle in the Philippians. He says, What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The all-surpassing greatness of God. Is that part of our heartfelt song to God? Preserve me. Preserve that. I wish it was. But Paul considers everything else to be found outside of God absolute rubbish. He considers them nothing. Something so precious. No wonder David's saying, preserve me. Preserve me. For I've taken refuge in you. He's asking God to preserve us. To preserve him, sorry. It's not something that we can hold on to. He didn't do exactly a good job in the Garden of Eden. But now we're looking at God to provide that which we can't. He says that you hold my lot. There is this security, isn't there? They're saying, God's, we're saying to God, can you look after this for me? It's so precious, but I know that I can't hold on to it. You know, if we value our wealth, we, we put it into the banks, don't we? But we, we know that they can't hold on to it either. We know that that summer day lying on the grass, that the clouds will come. I can't stop them. We've all been celebrating the Olympics. Two weeks of bliss. It's coming to the end, isn't it? I can't hold on to that. Those athletes who have been pumping themselves with iron, who have been pumping iron, hopefully they haven't been pumping themselves with iron, who's got beautiful physiques, athletic physiques and bodies, well, they're not going to be able to stop the flabbiness, the weight, the aches and the pains creep onto them as they get older. And then I'll have another delight and rejoice as they are similar to me. You see, it goes on. It's all-encompassing. God is all that I need. But not only is God all I need, he has given me a pleasant place. This is what David says. He's given me a pleasant place, a beautiful inheritance. Look at those words. Do we enjoy God for, the, for that? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, verse 6. God not only has given us himself, but he's giving us a place to enjoy. You know, David has found himself king of Israel in the land God has promised. And I expect he's thinking not only um, about having God as, as his place to be, but he's been given a wonderful place as well. This is the promised land. You see... God has given him somewhere to enjoy. You see, we all tune into grand designs and think, oh yeah, I'll have a bit of that because that's nice and spacious. Look at that swanky kitchen. I'll have a bit of that too. Well, there's nothing, you know, to dwell in a place which is pleasant. To dwell in a beautiful place. This is the sure promises of God to David. It's happened and it will happen for him. 
It talks about the counsel of God, verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Um, there we go. Have a turn to Psalm 119. We'll quickly just have a look here. Because if you just read that, you know, I tend to think that the Lord who counsels me, you know, doesn't really make me say, hey, brilliant, you know, it counsels me. It sounds like uh, I've got issues. But have a look at Psalm 119. You see, in Psalm 119, it talks of a love affair of the psalmist with the Word of God. It says, I'm going to just rip through it because it's the longest chapter in the whole of, um, whole of the Bible. So we won't read it all. Verse 2, blessed, happy are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all his heart. Okay, it lays out at the beginning, his word is good. I want to hear from him. How can a young man, verse 9, keep his way pure by living according to his word? So it gives us direction. It trains us and shapes us and, our, and, teach, um, and guides us. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as the one rejoices in great riches. This is how we're to consider his wonderful word. I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word, the psalmist um, sings. Open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. God's word, God's counsel is beautiful. Give me understanding, he asks. And I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find a light. Turn my heart towards your statutes. It carries on and on. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. It gives you freedom. You say the hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It talks to us. How sweet are your words. To my taste, verse 103, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If you have those times where you, you're resting at night and you, you're just dwelling on what God has, uh, what God's told you in his word during the day and how your mind and your heart just runs with it and you delight in it. I know that I do. And I tell you, if I was preaching one of those sermons which I had last night, I tell you, this, you'd, be, you'd be flat on your faces and crying. Enjoy, that is. Not in pain, because that's the time where God uses us, that our, that our souls are um, lifted by his word at night time. I have set the Lord always before me, he says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The security is in God, his joy is in God, his delight is in God's word, in his people, and in, in his place. His whole being rejoices. But there's an elephant in the room that we haven't talked about. He wants to hold on to it. But the thing is, though we've looked at the blessings and the delight of a restored relationship with God, there remains one of our greatest enemies. An enemy which would rob us of all the delights that are are promised in God. Because in Genesis 3, we didn't only lose a relationship with God and the source of all joy, but death entered this world. How might we fear death? Is it final? Is it an end to all good things? But you see, David goes on. 
Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also, uh, my body also will rest secure. You see, his flesh, his body does not fear death. He knows that he will enjoy the promises and joy of God because death is not the end. Preserve me. He will preserve his soul and his body. His flesh has confidence in God. You see, the, he says that you will save me from shale, that you will not leave me there. Verse, um, excuse me. You're ba- yeah, verse 10. Because you will not abandon me to the grave. He goes on to say, though, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, David died. He rotted in his grave. Therefore, is hope lost? But we know that this is not the case. Those of you who have been following our series in Acts and will know and remember what we've said in Acts 2. Peter was speaking at, at, when the Holy Spirit came after the resurrection of Christ. He said, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. Again, later in Acts, Paul and uh, Barnabas at Pisidian Antioch said this, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But in the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. This is a psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And this is so something worthwhile to pursue that Paul himself says in in, uh, Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. He knew the joy that he had in Christ, in God, that he had taken refuge, and he wants to experience this forever and ever. Acts 13 continues, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Jesus is the way because he is the only means of grace and forgiveness. We can only bow the knee and call him Lord. We can only find refuge in him by the gift of grace and belief in his son, Jesus. He is that path of life that has been made known to David. He is the same path that has been made known to us. Don't need to fear death. My flesh dwells secure, sings David. The promises of goodness and joy everlasting are mine because of Jesus Christ. You know, each one of us must answer that question. Are you able to sing the first two lines of this psalm with David about your relationship with God? Can you say, he is my Lord? Not just in word, but have found refuge in him. To be reunited with the giver of all good things. And experience that deepest satisfaction, pleasure and joy that he has promised. Maybe we need to realize what we have in Christ. Even just take time to read 119 again, Psalm 119, just to reflect on that one portion of it, how delightful his word is to us. 
You see, it goes on. It's with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's only in the presence. It's only in the presence of God that we know true joy, and not seeking else, uh, seeking pleasure outside Him. Spend time with the saints, those who delight in God themselves, and know that this has been secured by the Lord Jesus, who wasn't left in the grave to rot, but was raised to reign forever. Our um, future is secured with Christ. Enjoy him now. Enjoy him forever. Delight in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for David who sings it with so, so much joy and hope. We thank you that you are our rock, that our investment or your investment is in us, is safe as we take refuge in you. We thank you for the pleasures and joy that we, we are yet to experience even more of. Help us to remain pure and in your word, in your presence of your people, to know of the future hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to stand to sing our final song. My soul finds rest in God alone.